Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. But we are in the second week of our series uh, that we kicked off last week. Um, You missed any of that, you can catch it on the podcast or or go on Facebook in the archives and whatnot. There's different ways you can grab it. Um, But we've started a series called Try This at Home. And the whole heart behind it is the truth that um, this, everything that we are doing here, um, everything we are about in Christ should impact our daily lives, our every second of the day life. That is where things really begin to change. And we looked at last week that, that unless the, the impact of what Jesus has done hits home, um, we don't see the fullness of it. It doesn't really begin to, to do what it's supposed to do uh, in our lives. And so we, you know, uh, a lot of times people would say, well, pastor, don't say try this at home. It's like, it's, um, you know, it's no, we need to do this at home. Um, but here's the truth. I know us. I know me. Um, the truth is, is that we need permission to be able to maybe not be really great at this initially. Um, maybe this concept of prayer, maybe it's awkward to you. Uh, maybe you have a vibrant prayer life. And so maybe you were, uh, man, I, I guess I drank too much coffee last night. I was wide awake at 2 a.m. this morning. I do not normally am I wide awake in the middle of the night. And so I just spent that time in prayer. I'm just praying for you, praying for this moment and doing that. Maybe that's, maybe that's normal for you. Maybe that's odd for you. Um, but whatever it is, is you can try prayer. You don't have to be awesome at it. It can feel a little awkward. It can feel a little weird and try. You try these things because there's this beautiful thing of grace that allows us to be able to maybe not do it perfectly, but to be able to mature imperfectly as we grow. And so I want to encourage you to begin to see this stuff and implement at home. So we've looked at this idea that if we're truly going to grow in knowing God better and trusting Him more, then we're going to have to do this at home. Home, sh- home should be the base for all of our spiritual growth. Home should be the base. Is that we, co- we connect here, we co- and, and uh, worship here together, and that hopefully as the, the ministry team and what happens here encourages you, helps you uh, understand the Word a little bit, helps you have some fellowship and and that we equip you to be able to then go home and carry this on. That's what our hopes are. It's not everything doesn't happen here in this space or in small groups or any of the other stuff we offer and, and help facilitate. But we're able to do it. It's home base um, should be the, the area for your, your core spiritual growth. And we're looking at John 15 for the New King James Version. And I'm using the New King James um, because I like this word abide. It's just enough different. We don't use the word abide a lot, um, but it's so rich and it's so full. And I want us to think about that word while we're through this series, abide. That, of course, just means to live, to just live. But I I like the fact that it's a little bit different. It kind of activates our brain on a little bit different level. And and abide is this concept. And you have your house. You have your, your apartment wherever you live. You have your abode, which is where you reside, your residence. And you abide there. And Jesus is encouraging us to do that, to live, to abide in him. And he says, abide in me and I in you. There's this beautiful reciprocal thing. He's not just saying, hey, come in and abide in me. No, it is he's abiding right back. 
It is this beautiful give and take that is there, that it is both going in. It is abide in me and I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. A branch, you disconnect the branch. We all know this. You cut the branch off from the vine, and the, the vine's going to continue to go on, and other branches will bear fruit, but that branch is done. You cannot come to that branch and be pouty that there are no grapes on it. It's like it can't do it by itself says, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The truth is the fullness of our lives, not just the spiritual part, but the fullness of our lives should come and exist out of our dwelling in him. Not just with him, not just with the knowledge, but truly dwelling with him. Now, here is the challenge of having this really at home and daily, is that it's daily. It's, it's all the time. It's, it's, it's constant. And it's with the people that we love, but are also frustrated by, and the people that hurt us, and all those different things. It, it involves all of that. It involves the people at work. It involves all of these different things. And that begins to be the core challenge is where it can be a little easier to carve out some moments and carve out some spiritual time and a spiritual group to connect with and say, okay, I can handle this with these people. But man, my house people, my extended family people, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, man, all of that stuff is hard. My coworkers don't even, Lord, talk to me about my coworkers. Lord, I don't, I don't even, I'm having a hard time believing you love them, Lord. And I know you love everybody. But have you taken a peek? Have you opened the door on the mile where I work? It is tough. And it is, it's hard. It's hard because that's where the daily life is where our frustrations and our pain come from. And so when Cutie and I uh, were this short window of when we had known one another and were not married. We met in March and were married in December. And so it was in a long courtship process. And so uh, when you know, you know. So I think it's worked out pretty awesome. And, uh, and so, but in that short window, um, I was there in Odessa and we were wanting to go and do some stuff. And a couple of buddies of mine and, and my sisters uh, we decided that we were going to borrow, because uh, we didn't own any, we were going to borrow some four-wheelers um, and go to the Imperial, Imperial Sandhills, um, because the Monaghan Sandhills won't allow you to go run around on four-wheelers on the sand. So we went to Imperial uh, to go and take these four-wheelers and go have some fun. Uh, the problem is, is Brandon Clark doesn't know much about four-wheelers or motorcycles or any of that, and somebody just let me take theirs and go out there and, and, and drive them out there and do it. So uh, Cutie had had a couple of bad experiences with them. Um, she likes to run into fences with them. For whatever reason, she just runs into fences, and it's not a good thing. So uh, we had the four-wheeler, had, uh, you know, had my woman on the back, man. It was like, you know, you know born to be wild. It was awesome. And uh, so we were out there on the four on the four wheelers, and she was had her arms around me. And when I was not enough familiar with the sand and all of that, um, you know, you in my mind, you know, you, they were all like little mountains. Okay, you know, if it went steep on this side, well, then it was like an equal peak on the other side. And so, you know, we avoided that stuff. 
But if it was pretty flat on this side, it was going to be pretty flat on the other side. So we're just, she's on the back, and I'm just ripping it through there and having a great time. And we're going on a nice little gentle slope and think I'm going to come over this top of this thing and just a nice little gentle slope down. And we come over the top of that, and it just ends. It just ends, and we're just in the air. That was not the plan. And she has her arms wrapped around me, and I'm coming, and we're just like, whoa. So we hit, hit hard. She comes forward, and somehow she hits on my elbow as I go back, and I am go forward, and my elbows are back, and she hits her ribs on my elbow and cracks a rib in the middle of the sandhills. Well, what we had, like, fallen down into you know, was this space that was a, like this big bowl. So there was these steep uh, climb all the way out. And we get to the bottom, and, and she's hurting, and we've got this, this four-wheeler down in the bottom of this sand pit, and we've got to get it out, and she's got a cracked rib, and now we got to get back out of here. And uh, it was not a good thing. And so I was like, okay, how, how are we going to do this? Well, it wouldn't take both of us up the side of the hill. It wasn't one of those four-wheelers. And so it wouldn't take both of us up. So we had to get it up. She was not comfortable driving it. She was not comfortable doing that. She's the wounded one, but I'm the one driving the four-wheeler out of the pit. And she's the one with a cracked rib hiking through sand up a deal. Um, yes, terrible. The fact that she married me is a miracle. But there in that moment, we see this microcosm of these two perspectives of people who are in pain and that there's a place of grace that exists in the middle of that. Because what you've got is you've got her perspective. You've got her perspective is that she's not the cause of the pain. This person she trusted was running the controls. This person she trusted was going, I launched us into the, uh, into the abyss. I was the one. It was my elbow who broke her, cracked her rib. It, it was me that landed in there, and now she is in a place of wound and has to sit there and let and extend grace and love and me sit there and just kind of get out of there without any problems. And sit there, and so many times we have a hard time fully embracing walking this out at home. Because it's like, you know what, if I begin to, to act caring and loving and do all this and turn the other cheek. when Man, I got another cheek I'll turn to my family. I'm, I'm done with these people. And so, and, and we sit there and we are, we are it, we're, we're in a place of pain. It's like, you know what, all of a sudden now I'm going to extend grace and these people just kind of take it and go. Just kind of take it and go. They feel like we're the one carrying the load when we begin to sit there and take this thing of love and forgiveness and all of this stuff serious. And we're going to do this at home when maybe nobody else in our family is doing this. We're the only one. And it's like, ah, this is, this is hard. Lord, my family's tough. My family's difficult. I mean, man, you got to sit there and you got to hold your own. And Lord, I want revival in my family, but I need it. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to need some of these jokers to come along. 
Because I can't be the only one over here forgiving. I can't be the only one over here being graceful. I can't be the only one over here doing this. And there's that perspective. But then there's the other perspective. Where you sit there where you're Brandon Clark and you see the pain and the difficulty that you've caused and then you embrace the grace of God. And you sit there and then you allow that to do that and there's this place you're just like, I so in that moment wanted just to just leave that four-wheeler there. To just leave it there and just hike out with her. Just be there with her and just suffer a little bit with her because I had caused some pain and it just didn't seem right that I'm sitting there and I see the goodness of what can, can come along and, I, and I'm able to take this thing that carries me out and they're not able to embrace it yet. And sometimes it's hard to just say, yes, God, God, I see your goodness and you're just embracing the forgiveness and the people around you, they're not there yet. And you feel guilty. Like, how can I be forgiven when their pain is part of my fault? How can I begin to embrace this kind of love from God when they're, I'm the cause of some of their pain? And so we just kind of put the brakes on. And we're just like, God, I, I don't know. I just feel, I just feel guilty, and I can't, I can't do this. It's hard, God, and I, I can't be the only one trying this. I can't be the only one living in this. And there's this tension when there's pain in our household. And here's the truth. Whether either side of the equation you're on, to go ahead and begin to try this at home, somebody has to start. Somebody has to start. Whether you're the one that that seems to be the only one doing the forgiving, whether you're the only one who's sitting there spending time in prayer for your family, you're the only one who's doing that. Somebody has to start the revolution. Somebody has to do it. Maybe you're the only one who's embracing the grace and allowing it to do that, and you can't let the guilt hold you back. Say, how can I feel so good? How can I be so free when everybody else in my family is having difficulties and suffering, and they don't see the goodness and the love of God. It begins to be difficult, begins to be a challenge in our lives. See, there's often a home field disadvantage. We're familiar with the idea of a home field advantage, but when it comes to walking this out, this this our relationship with God, sometimes there's a home field disadvantage because sometimes the home crowd's the tough crowd. Sometimes the home crowd is the the hard crowd. They're the ones who know what our previous life has been like. They're the ones who know what it looks like when we need a Snickers. When things are not quite right, they're the ones who deal with it. And all of a sudden we begin to embrace it. And they sometimes have a hard time dealing with this. Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, Jesus himself dealt with this. It says, coming in to his hometown, He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Now, this could seem like a really good amazement. Like, wow, this is cool, hometown boy, look at this. That wasn't quite the way they rolled with it. He said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Hmm, I'm not quite buying it. Where did he get this? Where did he get this wisdom and these powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? I know his daddy, and his daddy's just a regular working guy. He ain't that special. I know his dad. His 
dad's just a regular guy. We got some of his chairs at the house. They ain't even that good a chair. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? In the home, Jesus' hometown, reminding in his mama Mary. You remember all the talk 30-something years ago where they were engaged and she showed up pregnant. Hmm. It's a little fishy over here. And his mama, that lady. And his mama, that lady who has the rumors about her. And his mama, that lady who, yeah, she seems pretty sweet and pretty nice on most days. But there's that one story. There's that one thing going around. And his mama, that lady. Aren't his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, aren't all of his sisters with us? Where did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. Initially, there was a little amazement. But as they began to just go, he's too regular. They found themselves with miraculous signs and wisdom coming out of his mouth, still being offended. That was their words. Where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get these miraculous signs? It wasn't, oh, man, this guy's talking like an idiot. What's he trying to do over here? No, miraculous signs, wisdom. And still they found place of offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Their lack of faith. It was their lack, not Jesus, not who he was. It was their lack of faith that limited Jesus. See, that we have a question to ourselves today. You're like, well, Pastor, what are you getting at? Jesus is in our hometown son. He in our hometown carpenter son. No, but if you grew up in the Bible Belt, and you don't remember the first time you heard the name of Jesus? It's just been in your life all along. That this idea of the Bible and this God, that there's a place where growing up in the Bible Belt, that maybe he's Jesus isn't our hometown carpenter son, but we find ourselves he's our hometown God's son. And he's just kind of been here. And he's just kind of been around. And we can find ourselves minimizing Jesus. Because we've just kind of always been here. This is why we have to dig in and look at the scriptures and find this thing and grow in it ourselves. Because we can begin to do to Jesus. Like, I never do that to Jesus, but do we? Do we expect him to do miraculous things in our lives today or he limited in our lives too? Is he limited because of our lack of faith, because we just minimize? Oh, yeah, I know I've known lots of people who prayed to Jesus. I know lots of people who've been in church and, man, and, you know, you pray and sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. 
this thing begins to be that we can have that same thing. Maybe he's not our hometown carpenter's son, but maybe he's just the God of our father's son. He's the hand-me-down Jesus. Instead of a heritage of faith, we end up with a hand-me-down Jesus, and we discount him, and we don't embrace the truth of who he is and the miracle power that he has. And this is why we have to carry this into our home. We have to do this at home and not just show up on the street corners and the meetings that we have, but really invite him into our home. See, one of the toughest parts of our callings, and you have an assignment on your life, one of the toughest parts is to take it home. In fact, we're going to back up to that whispered moment in Matthew, about Mary in Matthew chapter 1. See, Joseph and Mary, they were betrothed. They were engaged. But this kind of engagement was basically they were already married. They just had, weren't married. But you didn't just back out of an engagement. There wasn't the, you know, like the movies, you know, where somebody just walks away at the, you know, at the, at the wedding and just goes away. No, this was, if you were betrothed, but you, you, you finished things. To the point that even though they hadn't been married, to break it off was the equivalent of divorce. And so Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, that um, Joseph gets told that, um, hears that she's, she's pregnant. It says, but after, and that he uh, is wanting to, to put her away quietly and divorce her. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, Joseph's assignment was to be the stepdad to Jesus. And yes, Jesus had a stepdad. She's like, well, you know, I, my, my home life is a little different than your home life, Brandon, because I'm a stepdad and I'm a stepparent. Guess what? Jesus had a stepdad. It's nothing new. Yes, it's complicated and it's difficult and there are layers and nuances, and it's a, it's a, it's, it, but there's a grace for it as well. But see, the first thing the angel had to deal with was the fear in Joseph to bring her home, to go ahead and do this at home. And he says, don't be afraid to take her home because what's there, what's happening, it's from the Holy Spirit. See, what God is wanting to do, what God has placed in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, it has to come home. You can't be afraid to take it home. You can't be afraid to fully embrace it at home, to begin to dare to, to break open the Scriptures at home, to begin to believe that God can speak to you at home, that your prayers matter, that what happens in, under your roof and under your spiritual authority matters. You've got to begin to fully embrace that because the truth is, is not only will you try to discount what's from the Holy Spirit and of God, there'll be others in your life that will too, and we have to be willing to deal with that as well. In 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, that we see that the uh, um, prophet Samuel um, gets orders from God that um, God is done with 
King Saul. He's done with him. King Saul is just not listening. He's not being a good king. God picked King Saul. God picked him. But Saul went his own way and then lost his spot. He says, I want you to go to Jesse's house. And so he goes to Jesse's house and he shows up at Jesse's house and everybody's a little freaked out. Said, oh my goodness, you know, is it, are, you, are you at peace? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's peace, peace, we're good. You don't have to be, freak out that the prophet showed up at your house. All is well. Um, I just want to sacrifice. I just want to do a sacrifice. And, and, he, and then he sees Eliab or Iliab, however you want to pronounce it. He's the oldest son. He's tall, he's good looking, he's strong. And Samuel's like, man, here's a king right here. And the Holy Spirit says, nope, he's not it. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. God looks on the inside. That was what mattered. Eliab had the look of a king on the outside, but he didn't have the heart of a king on the inside. And said no. So they go through the list of Jesse's boys. Go through. None of them. None of them are it. Jesse had called all of his sons, except for what? Yeah, there's, there's David. He's the scrawny one, and somebody had, to, somebody had to watch the sheep. This is our livelihood. I couldn't leave them completely unattended, Samuel. I mean, it, you know, one of these other ones were bound to be king. And Samuel's like, you know, okay, no, bring, bring that one. And as soon as the youngest one, the one everybody had discounted shows up, the Spirit of the Lord tells Samuel, that's it. He's the king. And, and he anoints him as king, prays over him, and he's going to be the future king of Israel. This is chapter 16. Then he goes back to the field, and he takes care of sheep some more. It's not like, oh, hey, yeah, where's the palace? I've just had the oil put on me. I'm now like stepping into the fullness of everything. No, he was anointed to do it, and he went right back to where he was. He took the anointing to be a king back to his workplace, back to his house, back to that, and just lived in that and operated in that. And then the Philistines attack. And there's a big old Philistine named Goliath. We've all heard of him. I don't care if you have, this is your first time at church. You've heard of Goliath. And Goliath is a big old giant, man of battle. And he's taunting the people of Israel. And David has not been allowed to go to war. And daddy wants to know how the three oldest sons are getting along and sends David with some stuff to go, some supplies. And David shows up. And this big dude is mouthing at the people of God, taunting them. Ticks David off. Why? Because he's anointed as a king. This shouldn't be happening. Nobody's doing anything about it. So he starts to say, hey, What's going to happen? Somebody needs to step up. What's going to happen? And we're going to go ahead and look at 1 Samuel 17, 28. And, and um, David's talking about, hey, so what's going to happen if somebody will step up and fight this guy? And, um, and when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? 
I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. He was there when his baby brother was anointed as king by the prophet of Israel. And this is his attitude. There's not much under your authority. That you got a handful of sheep you deal with. You're arrogant and wicked in your heart. That's the way, even though his older brother knew and saw it firsthand, he still despised him and began to talk, <coughs> to, talk to him like this. You came down here only to watch a battle. And then David replies, he says, now, now what have I done? Said David, can't I even speak? Won't you even just let me talk? And here is where David begins to not let the haters in his house began to hold him back. And, when he, and then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. He didn't get into an argument. He didn't sit there and try to put Eliab in his place. Eliab's over here talking, and he just turns and goes to someone who would maybe embrace the fact that he's got something to bring to the table. Didn't try to silence it. Didn't try to argue with it. Didn't try to put it in its place. Just went to where his anointing could make a difference. That's it. That's it. And so as you begin to embrace this, the truth of this in your house, as you begin to step into this, yeah, maybe. Maybe some of these tensions. Maybe there's this place where people begin to to take offense. Maybe there's some places where pe- where it's like, you know what, I, you know, I'm gonna feel like a hypocrite. I'm the one that's caused pain to my family, and now I'm gonna say, man, God's forgiven me. You need to forgive me. Here, let's all move into this together. I'm gonna feel like a hypocrite. No, I'm telling you, let the grace of God come in. And if there do rise up some voices, don't get in an argument with them. Just turn and let God's anointing on your life begin to work. Our bottom line today is this: that God has a plan. So you have to just love those who don't understand. How do we begin? How do we begin to try this at home? That's it. Understand God has a plan. And just love those who don't understand. Because there are going to be those who just don't understand. So don't feel like you have to have everything figured out. Don't feel like that all of those things just begin to step into this in a greater way. Oh, so now you want to have a Bible study. Oh, now you want to pray. Oh, now you want to do this. Yeah, now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day that the fullness of what Jesus has done is going to enter our house. We're just embracing it. It may not be perfect. It may move forward awkwardly, but we're just going to do this at home. We're going to do this fully. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.